0: As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. So good morning, everybody. I'm glad to see you. You, as we're getting closer and closer to the celebration of Easter. And uh, what a great opportunity to be able to get together today and to uh, fellowship with the Lord, but to fellowship with each other here on the screen. So, why don't we take a minute and uh, stretch just a bit? That's always good to loosen up the body and lift your hands, excuse me, lift your hands to the Lord. And most importantly, let's pray. Uh, Let's ask the Lord. Uh, to take these words on the page and breathe on them and make them alive to our hearts. Father, we just want to thank you uh, each day, Lord, for the opportunity of getting up and to be able to hear you speak to us personally through your word. And Father, I just want to thank you for this portion of John 16. I just pray, Lord, that you would Uh, Just breathe on it, make these words alive, that they would impart faith and inspiration into our hearts, Lord. And I pray for each one uh, that you would specifically, Lord, underline uh, those parts that you're really speaking to us individually. So Lord, we come with an open heart, a hungry heart, and we thank you ahead of time for speaking to us and for touching each one on the screen. So, Father, we thank you, and it's in your name we ask it, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, away we go. John chapter 16, and i are going to be reading verses 5 through 33. Uh, Jesus is in the upper room, and he says this But now I'm going to him who sent me. And then none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I've said these things, To you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But it is if I go, I'll send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the roar of the world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. A little while, and you'll no longer behold me. Again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples therefore said to one another, what is this thing he's telling us? A little while, and you'll not behold me. And again, a little while, and you'll see me. And because I go to the Father so they were saying what is this he says a little while we do not know what he's talking about jesus knew that they wished to question him and he said to them are you deliberating together about this that i said a little while and you'll not behold me again a little while and you will see me truly truly i say to you that you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice you'll be sorrowful." but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more for joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one takes your joy away from you. And that day you'll ask me no question. Truly, truly, I say to you that if you ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I'll speak no more to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. And that day, you'll ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I'll request the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me, and I believed that I came from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. Disciple disciples said, Lo, now you're speaking plainly and not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anybody to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Wow, what powerful words that Jesus gives us here in John 16. Just, I love this passage. So I see three major things that come to me. Number one, Jesus talks about his death, his resurrection, Uh, and then he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the helper. And then last... Uh, that he wants to give us peace in the midst of our struggles and our tribulations and our trials. So those are the three things I'd like us to look at this morning. So number one, he talks about his death, and he talks about his resurrection. Uh, If you look at verse 16, Jesus said this, A little while, and you will no longer behold me. In other words, he's talking right there. Guess what? A little while, you're not going to see me. I'm going to die. And then he goes uh, on verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament. Okay, he's talking about, again, the disciples are going to be brokenhearted at his death, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. So he's saying that your heart's going to be broken, disciples. And the world, and particularly the Jewish leaders are going to celebrate. They think that it's 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 a... It's over, Uh, but I love what it says here. But the world is celebrating the death of Jesus, particularly the Jewish leaders at that point. But, and there's a lot of buts in the Bible and they, they pivot and change everything around. But your sorrow will be turned to joy. Your sorrow will be turned to joy. If you can imagine the disciples, How brokenhearted they must have been. Their hopes that Jesus was the Messiah went up in smoke. It's like they've invested three years in their lives in this man and in his gospel and his message, and everything just goes away at a flash. It's very, very disturbing to them. But it's interesting again, uh, back to verse 16 Jesus said, A little while and you will no longer behold me, okay? I'm going to die. And again, a little while, and you will see me. He's directly talking there about his resurrection. Folks, this isn't the first time Jesus said, I'm going to die and be resurrected. He says that a couple times in the gospel ahead of time. And if Jesus does not resurrect from the dead, Then Paul says our faith is absolutely vain. It makes no sense because (laughs) if Jesus predicted something and it doesn't happen, then then he's a phony. Uh, And everything that he taught and did basically goes up in smoke. So the resurrection literally is the pivot point of Christianity. If he's not raised, then it's over for us because he predicted it. That it had to happen. So uh, the good news is we do have evidence that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Number one, Peter and John run to the tomb and it's totally empty. Two Marys run to the tomb, and again, they find an empty tomb. As we read in Luke, two men going to the road to Emmaus encounter the risen Christ. Jesus then appears to the 11 disciples and he literally says, hey, you can see me, touch me. I'm resurrected. I have a resurrection body. Doubting Thomas isn't there. And, and he shows up. And again, he shows himself specifically again to the 11 and to Thomas. And then here in First Corinthians chapter 15, 6, Jesus said, he appeared to more than 500 brethren then to Paul. Evidence upon evidence upon evidence, not about just one or two people, even up to 500 people at one shot. And again, one of the greatest evidences I think of the resurrection is inside the Holy Spirit bears witness to you and I when we've given our life to Christ. Inside, we know He lives. There's a great hymn that we used to sing uh, in our church He lives, He lives. How do I know He lives? He lives within my heart. So, Jesus is alive and well. We're going to be celebrating that in just a couple of Sundays, and it will be truly a glorious occasion. So we have a great salvation. Jesus on the cross took your sin and my sin. He paid the penalty for our sins by a cruel death. And then he comes back to life saying, hey, I've won. I've won. And we're going to look a little bit later at the end about what he won specifically for us. So that's number one. Jesus was dead, but he's back to life, and he's in full swing today. Number two, the coming of the Holy Spirit. If you look at uh, Acts chapter 16 and verse 7, listen to this verse. I tell you the truth. Jesus is looking at the disciples before his death And I can see him looking right in their eyes, and he says, "I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. It's to your advantage I go." And I can hear the disciples saying, "You got to be kidding, Jesus! What do you? What do you? It's to your our advantage that you're going to take off and go back to heaven? There's no way." Lord, we need you. You've been with us three years. We've leaned upon you. You've taught us. You were our encourager. No way it's to our advantage that you go. And I hear Jesus saying, hey, guys, you don't get it. I have to go because if I don't go, I can't send my replacement or I can't send my substitute. I have to go. And again, they're trying to make some sense of this. He said, it's better I go because if I stay in my resurrected body, think about that. Jesus is resurrected. He could have literally stayed on the earth in a resurrected body. And Jesus, I hear him saying very clearly, that's not the best plan because guess what? If I stay in a resurrected body, I can only be in one place at one time. So get this one. Think about this. If you wanted to talk to Jesus, and he stayed resurrected, but he was in one spot in Jerusalem, then guess what? You would have to hop a plane and fly over to Tel Aviv. My wife, Kathy, here just went there. That's a 12-hour flight over the Atlantic Ocean and flying over Europe. So if you wanted to see Jesus and he was resurrected in one spot, you'd have to, to fly 12 hours, Get to Tel Aviv, find your way around, like you'd have to ask all over Israel, well, where is he hanging out at this point? You'd have to find him. But that wouldn't be too hard because the crowds would be humongous. You think you have a problem in Disney World to try to get in line for a ride, you would be seeing probably thousands, if not millions of people waiting in line to talk to Jesus about whatever's on their mind or their need. And because there'd be so many people, if you got there, he'd only be able to give you a couple minutes because the crowds would just be pushing in more and more and more. But I hear Jesus said, disciples, you got to get this. If I stayed here in a resurrected body, I could only do so much because I'm limited in time and space. But he says, guess what? It's to your advantage. If I go, I'll send my replacement. I'll send my substitute. And he can actually live on the inside of you and that the Holy Spirit will do for you what I did for you when I was with you. Because I think they're freaking out, Lord, what What do we do? If I have a question, what do I do? If I get confused, where do I go? And Jesus says, guess what? I'm in heaven, but that's okay. I've sent my replacement. And if you have a question or a problem, you run to the Holy Spirit. Because he's going to do for you now what I did when I walked on this planet. So important to realize the Holy Spirit is now, as we open our hearts, he's inside. It doesn't get any better than that. You don't have to fly all the way over to Tel Aviv. Jesus lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And the Father lives in you. But specifically, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, he's your helper, Hey. How many people need help? I need help a lot in different situations. Like, Lord, how do I handle this? What should I do here? Da-da-da goes on and on and on. We need a helper. Jesus said, I've given you an amazing helper, a tutor, a friend, a mentor. The wisest person in the entire universe lives inside of every one of us, deep within you. It just Blows my mind when I think about it. The third person of the Trinity is inside us as believers, and I'm just trying to wrap my mind around that more and more. And just be still and say, Holy Spirit, I know you're inside. I may not feel you at the moment, feel you at the moment, but if I just quiet down a bit, then I believe you're going to stir at some point, and I'll be able to sense your movements in me and through me. I think it's just extremely exciting to be able to do that so the Holy Spirit does a lot of things as your helper okay look at verse eight it says uh, Jesus says when he comes he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me so the Holy Spirit's job is to convict an unbeliever of their need of Jesus and his salvation the Holy Spirit is convicting people. And if we have unsaved loved ones, that's one prayer we can pray. Holy Spirit, convict them. Show them their need. Show them that they need a Savior. So the Holy Spirit convicts of uh, the idea of sin. Uh, He also convicts of righteousness. In other words, that Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross. And because Jesus died, now he gives us in replacement his righteousness and now we can come boldly to the throne of grace because we're wrapped in the robe of Jesus, justice, and his righteousness. So the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. He convicts of righteousness. And by the way, he also convicts of judgment because the roar of this world has been judged. In other words, on the cross and resurrection, Satan has been defeated. Does he still roam the earth? Yes, he does. Does he still cause problems? Yes, he does. But on that day, in reality, his ultimate demise was settled. Someday he's going to be in hell forever because of what he's done. But his power, in a very real sense, was broken there on the cross and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at what else the Holy Spirit does. If you look at verse 13. But he, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. Whatever he hears, he'll speak. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth. What I think is so cool, uh, he's going to help us be able to understand the Bible. We have a book here. It's a supernatural book. But if you just try to read it with your intellect and your mind, you're not going to get the full benefit. You just won't. The Holy Spirit has to unfold this book. He has to take the words off the page and make them a reality and an experience to us. And what's so important, and I need to remind myself that before I read this book, I need to say, Holy Spirit, you're the one that brings me into the reality of what I see on these pages. I need to pray that my eyes would be spiritually opened. And I think you do too. So these words are not just something I read and get more data in the brain, but the Holy Spirit goes upon the word and it comes alive. And I'll tell you, I'm sure we've had an experience where the words that are on this page just literally jump out at us. And you say, wow, that's the Holy Spirit's job to put a wow. When we read the word and say, look at that, look at what that's about. So not only does the Holy Spirit bring us into all the truth. We're told also here at the end of 13, he will disclose what is to come. And guess what? The Holy Spirit did it because he gave to John in the book of Revelation, all that we can look at as we're getting closer to the end of time. And many people were getting, believing we're in these, these times now. So not only does the Holy Spirit inspire John to give us the book of Revelation, but I believe as we get closer to the end of the age, the Holy Spirit will show us more and more of some of the details that are going to unfold before his coming back. Another thing the Holy Spirit does, verse 14, he will glorify me for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. In other words, the job of the Holy Spirit <clears throat> is not to bring attention to the Holy Spirit. The job of the Holy Spirit is to put a, a, a literally a, a spot. A, if you look at, uh, you're in a play or something, they have this light, this spot that shines on the people that are on the stage. The aim of the Holy Spirit is to put the spotlight onto Jesus and say, I want to make Jesus real to you. I want to make Jesus real not only to you, but through you. And it is cool. He makes Jesus a living reality in our everyday kind of life. But not only does the Holy Spirit make Jesus real, uh, he also shows us the promises that Jesus made, and he wants to make those promises real. Uh, check out this verse, uh, our verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let me read it. Verses 9 to 12, you might want to look these up, powerful verses. So here it is. Things which eye has not seen nor ear has heard, and which have not been entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. All that God has prepared. I get this. 10, for to us, God revealed them, how? Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Verse 12, powerful verse. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but we've received the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Folks, you have a treasure chest. I have a treasure chest. God has given promise upon promise upon promise upon promise in the word, and the Holy Spirit is to said it's my job to make real in your experience all that the Father has given you in that treasure chest of promise upon promise and promise. So the Holy Spirit loves to make Jesus real. He loves to make real to us all that we have in Christ. The Holy Spirit also gives us spiritual gifts through which to serve others. If you look at First Corinthians chapter twelve and other verses, uh, you'll see uh, that the Holy Spirit gifts us. And if you're a believer, then you have at least one spiritual gift through which to serve Him. So when people say, uh, you know, I, I got nothing to give. I, I'm a nobody as a Christian," da da, that's a lot of baloney. You have at least one supernatural gift God's given you. And I believe if we're sincere and say, Lord, what are the gifts that you gave me that I can use them for your glory? He'll begin to unpack that. Not only does the Holy Spirit gives you a gift for service, he reproduces the very character of Jesus Christ in you. And Paul refers to that as the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, if you look at Galatians, and it's Galatians, let me get this, Galatians chapter 5. And verse 22, it says this, but the fruit of the spirit, in other words, when the Holy Spirit gets control of your life and gets control of my life, he begins to go at work and do some stuff on the inside of us. And he says this, uh, Paul, but the fruit of the spirit is love. This isn't just a human love. This is a supernatural divine love. But the fruit of the Spirit is a divine supernatural love, a divine supernatural joy of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. The Holy Spirit literally reproduces the life of Jesus in us. It's not something we strain and, and try to make happen. It happens as we yield to the Holy Spirit, as we give Him full control, He begins to make us look more and more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit also does something neat Uh, in John 16. uh, He begins to help us to be able to know how to pray. Uh, If you look at uh, verse 23 and 24, Jesus said this, in that day, you'll ask me no question. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask The Father for anything, He'll give it to you in my name. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be made full. And I know people over the years, they look at that and say, My word, this is so neat. If you ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. Okay. So they pray a prayer and then they tackle on at the end of the prayer in the name of Jesus, almost like they're rubbing a rabbit foot, like there's some kind of a magic to be able to use the name of Jesus. That's not what this is saying at all. Jesus said, if you ask the father for anything, he'll give it to you in my name. In other words, to ask in his name means to ask in his character. Literally, it means to pray a prayer that Jesus would pray. So when we're praying, if we wanna see answers to our prayer, we gotta be praying a prayer that Jesus literally would be praying in that situation. So the key to prayer is not so much telling God, well, here's God, here's what I'm telling you. You need to do, Lord, you need to do this, Lord, you need to do that, Lord, you need to do all these other list of things, and we're telling God what to do. Much better to keep our mouths quiet and say, Lord, what is your will? What kind of can I, what kind of prayer can I pray in your name in this situation? And here's where it gets interesting. I mean, there's some prayers we know are, are biblically correct beyond the shot of a doubt. But sometimes we just don't know how to pray in the name of Jesus or in the will of God. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit's been given to be your helper. If you look at Romans 8, uh, and it says, uh, verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should. You ever been there? Boy, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation like, Lord, what do I do? How do I pray in this specific situation? And Jesus said, we have a weakness. We don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. For he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As we get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in our relationship with the spirit, he begins to literally teach us how to pray in the will of God by putting his desires in us, by illuminating certain passages of scripture.
1: He does all these different things uh, that I think are so powerful. But we need to realize
0: this, and let me just drive this home. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not a thing. He's not a force. He is literally the mighty third person of the Trinity. He is a person, and because he's a person, you literally can get to know him the way you know God the Father and the way you know God the Son. And you might say, well, Pastor John, prove it to me. Well, I'll be glad to do that. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse uh, 14, it says this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Spirit. That means I can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus encourages that. He said, I'm going away. You can sure You can worship me. You can worship the Father. But guess what? I've sent the Holy Spirit to be literally with you, and you can fellowship with him. And if you want to see that in full action, read the book of Acts. The star player in the book of Acts is not Peter, the star player in the book of Acts is not Paul. You check out the references to the Holy Spirit again and again and again and again in the book of Acts. He is the star player who takes over people like Peter and Paul and others. And changes the world, and that person lives in us. Before I kind of jump to this last thing, I've said it before, I think, in a soap, but I want to say it again because it 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 really, uh, I don't know what to say, but put a tremendous fire in me and passion to know the Holy Spirit. I went to a meeting of Catherine Coleman uh, with my wife Barb at one point. And Catherine Coleman was known literally for the gift of miracles that God gave her. And we went there probably four or five times over a course of many years. And literally, I could see people that were blind were given sight. People that were deaf were hearing. People that could not walk walked. Literally, it was an amazing thing to see the Holy Spirit in action through this lady. But what blew me away. And I understand, oh man, I can't even tell you. It's just so impressed on me that one time Catherine was speaking, and all of a sudden she just stopped, period, dead quiet. You could literally hear a pin drop. And it was just quiet, totally still. And she looked at the crowd and she said, in her own kind of way, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And you could feel that all through the congregation. Don't grieve the Holy
1: Spirit. And then she said this, he's my best friend. And I thought to myself, wow,
0: he's my best friend. But here's the clincher. Don't grieve the spirit. He's my best friend. Then she said this, he's more real to me than you in the congregation. Man, if you want to be stretched, ponder that. This lady knew the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, she had such a rapport, such a fellowship, that he was so real to her that he was more real than with human beings she interacted with. There's something to shoot for, folks. That's where I'm going. I want to know the Holy Spirit, that he's more real than anybody I can see
1: with these eyes. Folks, the potential that we have, God himself through the spirit lives in us. He's in you. And if we turn them loose, there's no limits. Plus he's
0: not limited in any way shape or form you have to know him
1: it can happen and the last thing is the idea is that we can have peace even
0: in our tribulation trials and trouble look at verse 33 jesus said these things i've spoken to you that in me you may have peace
1: In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world.
0: You know, Jesus was real. He never said it was going to be a rose garden. You know, we come, okay, make a a commitment to Jesus. And then many people thought, well, then, cool. I made a commitment to Jesus. I'm going to just sail right on through. Life's going to be smooth, no problems. That's not what Jesus said. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation." He didn't sugarcoat it. He said, this is the deal. And uh, I think Job says the same thing in Job chapter 5, verse 7. He says, for man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. We live in a fallen, twisted world because Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And that ripple effect has touched everybody that's ever lived on this planet. It's touched you. It's touched me. Folks, every single one of us have experienced trials and pain and heartache, right? Anybody here exempt? I don't know anybody. Nobody I've met that's lived long enough. We've all had our share of tribulation and pain. And guess what? We're also going to experience more of that as we walk into the future. Life is not easy. No way. You just, you interact with people, you find out life is not easy for people. But, but, In the world, you will have tribulation, but I love the buts of the Bible, but take courage. I've overcome the world, and he did. On the cross, Jesus overcame sin. He overcame guilt because he offers us forgiveness. He overcame the bondages of sin that hold people in addictions and any other behavior that is crazy. He overcame sin. He overcame death. He's resurrected from the dead. And the good news, he said, I am the resurrection. And he said, Not only am I resurrected from the dead, you can be too, so that you can have the hope that when you die, it's not the end, but you'll be with me forever in glory. Jesus overcame the devil. And the devil is still roaming around. And some people say, Why doesn't God just plain knock the devil out and get it done with? But what I can see. God has allowed the devil still to roam because he's using the devil as a tool, I believe, to mature the church, to grow the church up. Because as the devil and temptations come at us, as we respond properly, they can make us stronger and they can drive us deeper into the Lord. And not only that, I believe the Lord has overcome trials and tribulations and problems. Yeah, they're going to happen. But the Lord has turned these around so that the trials don't have to they literally destroy you. They can make you better and stronger in the spirit. That's why Paul says in Romans 8 28, God causes all things to work together for good for those that love him. You can't lose. The only thing that can lose in your department when you encounter a trouble is a bad attitude, like the Israelites that we looked at in Numbers, who they grumble and they complain. Yeah, trials can can wipe you out. But folks, on the other hand, if we respond properly to trials, then they can make us stronger and more and more and more and more and more Christ-like. In fact, not only <clears throat> do we know that, James says in 1-2, uh, I, 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 this is an amazing scripture. Try mastering this one with the help of the Spirit. James 1-2. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Uh, How do we do this? Consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. That's not my human instinct. But listen to what James says. Consider it all joy when you encounter trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That's why we can have joy, because God's building in the trial a strong faith that gives endurance And he said, let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Jesus said, in the world, you have tribulation. Take courage. I have overcome the world. And folks, because of all these things, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, I believe Jesus can do this thing at the end of 33, uh, well, actually the beginning of 33, these things I've spoken to you that in me, you may have peace. There's the gift. God wants to give each of us a supernatural peace because of all the good news that we've been given. John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you My peace, get that. I mean, Jesus has an unbelievable peace. And he says, my peace, not just any peace, my peace. I give to you. That would be my prayer, that you could experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in a way that will knock you over. That the Holy Spirit would be so real to you that he would make Jesus glorious to you and through you. So that the point that you would literally experience a supernatural peace and a supernatural joy, no matter where you are. So man, do we have good news. John
1: 16 can change your life and mine. Let's pray. Wow, Lord, what an amazing chapter. Thank you, Lord, for dying for each of us. Everybody
0: on this Zoom, you've died for us personally. You were resurrected. And we thank you that you actually want to live inside of us. The living, resurrected Jesus lives in us through you, Holy Spirit. So I just pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to know you, Father, in deeper ways. Help us to know you, Jesus, in deeper ways. Holy Spirit, let us know you so well that you would be more real than what we see with our eyes, more real than what we hear with our ears. Holy Spirit, that you'd be more real than our problems. Help us to fellowship with you. Help us to grow strong, Lord, through trials and tribulations. And we just pray, Lord, for each of us, Lord, help us to be such a bright light in the world. Lord, whether it's in our home, whether it's where we work, whether it's with our neighbors, help us to be such a bright light, Lord, that people would come to us and say, hey, you're different. I want what you have. So, Father, we thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Holy Spirit. What an amazing team you are in us. And we pray it, Jesus, in your strong and holy name.
1: Amen. Amen. Have a great day. God bless you all.